my name is Dimitri. I'm Isabella. Alexander. I'm Zali. I'm Teddy. And I'm 23. And I'm 12, 16 years old. Almost 28,000 young people. Aged between 12 and 24. Are homeless in Australia. Earlier on any given night. Did you know that a survey of young people on youth allowance found that 9 in 10 skip meals and 1 in 3 have withdrawn their studies because of lack of funds? Did you know that 1 in 3 young people aged 15 to 24 who seek help from homelessness services identify as Indigenous? Did you know the youth unemployment rate is now at 13.9%? More than double the national average. In the spirit of reconciliation, Y Foundations acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connection to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Welcome to the Young and Homeless podcast brought to you by Y Foundations, New South Wales peak body for youth homelessness. Y Foundation supports services who support young people who are experiencing or at risk of homelessness. My name is Pam Barker and I'm the CEO of Y Foundations and I will be your host and I'm honoured to take you on the journey while I interview passionate and dedicated human beings who want to end youth homelessness in Australia. In this podcast series, we will chat with some amazing speakers who are politicians, government workers, service providers, researchers, academics, and people with a lived experience of homelessness. We will tackle some of the important issues faced by children and young people at risk of or who are experiencing homelessness in Australia. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Belinda Maneski. Belinda is the manager of Southern Youth FOIA Project, which is run by Southern Youth and Family Services. Southern Youth and Family Services operates three youth foyers across the Illawarra region. We're also joined today by Courtney. Courtney is a 24-year-old young person living in Southern Youth and Family Services' Varilla foyer. She is a youth representative for Southern Youth and Family Services' Board of Management and a member of Y Foundation's Youth Homelessness Representative Council. Welcome to you both today. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Belinda. It's great to have you both. So, Belinda, what is FOIA? Yeah, so I guess Youth FOIAs is an option of housing for young people aged between 16 and 24 um, who may be homeless or at risk of homelessness. It provides affordable, safe and stable accommodation with a strong focus on assisting young people to really strive towards their future goals uh, in education, whether that's obtaining a qualification, finishing high school or university, uh, attending training courses or working towards obtaining employment, which would ultimately then lead to independence. So it's really connecting and linking young people to opportunities in the community they may not have had access to previously. Uh, FOIAs, I guess, really provide a positive environment which young people can really thrive. So it's having that combination of supported accommodation and housing with education, training and employment support um, and other supports is really key to assisting young people, sorry, to develop the skills and capacity to live independently and access, like I said, that real lead to attainment of educational qualification, access, employment, and ultimately reduces homelessness. 
So FOIA seemed like a very important program to have available for homeless young people. Where does it fit into all the current services that are being offered? At what point is this program an important program for young people to be able to access? Uh, with FOIAs, it really does cover that gap for that 18 to 24-year-olds that I believe, you know, in terms of housing and accommodations options available for those young people that don't maybe fit that crisis kind of stage where they're at. It's more post-crisis stage where they're really transitioning and they're ready to really look into what they want to do for their future. So I think it really fits in that kind of um, area for young people is they just need that stable, affordable accommodation and they can get that support to really meet and reach their goals that they're striving towards. So there has to be some sort of level of readiness before coming into the foyer and that they're a level of independence as well um, before entering into the system. So it sounds like it's a bit like a home away from home with a level of independence. Is that right, Glinda? Yes, totally. That's exactly what the foyers offer young people. And it, yeah, without the, some of the opportunities I think that we would provide and like I said, linking them into the community, um, I don't think they'd be able to strive towards some of that. Sounds like a pretty impressive model. I'm definitely a huge advocate of foyer. Why is the foyer unique in, in the model? And can you tell me a little bit about that? So the thing that has always stuck out to me about FOIAs is its unique approach to really supporting and harnessing young people's goals, dreams and hopes and really bringing that to the forefront of what we do. So not focusing on the deficits, but really flipping that to be about the strengths, talents and skills of young people. The Advantage Thinking Model really assists us in a different way of thinking. It gives us the narrative to really challenge ourselves in the way we deliver services, in the way we provide support to young people and in inspiring them to really achieve what they want out of life. It's a very forward-thinking approach, but still encapsulates a very holistic way of working with young people. So really looking at what brought them here, but also focusing on what's next for them. Being able to provide young people this opportunity, which has been such an aspirational culture and environment for them to grow and flourishing, and it's, it's really rewarding to be able to do that. Linda, is there staff on the ground 24-7? How, how do you deliver all that? What does it look like on, yeah. on an average day as someone who works with the FOIA model? Yeah, so look, uh, we like I said, we've got three different sites. So we have staff across those sites. We have specific residential accommodation workers, youth workers, and then we also have specific education, employment, training staff that is connected to the program. And they're all co-located in the one building, which is great for that extra support. We also have one dedicated worker who uh, delivers a lot of the programs and does a lot of the promotion side of promoting our health and wellbeing programs with young people and giving them extra programs to be able to participate in. So our FOIA, we've been running since 2001, so it's really kind of evolved since then into, you know, um, what it is today. And like I said, we have three different services that differ slightly in terms of size and setup because we've adapted more of a staged model in two sites where young people can graduate from a bed sit, for instance, in a communal area to their own one-bedroom apartment. And then the third site is a combination of bed sits and units and communal facilities. So Belinda, it sounds like the foyer model is like a, a big sort of hug for young people and it really provides them support to the degree that they want it. Is that correct in what you've been saying? So you guys provide as much support that the young person needs in order to get them into more of an independent living situation. 
Yeah, that's correct. So we are guided by what the young person's needs are, um, what level they're at. Yeah, so really they're at the centre of everything that we do. So it's just about wrapping around, like I said, that support around them and creating opportunities for them, definitely. What a great model. I'm excited about it. I wish there were models like that when I was younger because it really shows there is a huge direct benefit to the young person. Do you like working in a service that has a foyer model? Why do you love it personally? What makes you get up and go foyer is one answer for young people in this age group. I think it's really connected with me because of the positive psychology that surrounds it. And that, yeah, just really uh, resonates a lot with me because I believe that, yeah, we really do need to flip the switch into not looking at young people and their problems, but let's look at the solutions and create that environment to make them feel like they can believe in themselves too. So really it it does need to, you know, have a positive um, physical environment as well as really dedicated and inspiring staff. And I really love to promote that and And yeah, get the staff really excited about that and make sure that that feeds into the young people that enter into our services. Yeah. Wow. So Courtney, what's your thoughts on foyer? You live in the foyer. How long have you lived in the foyer for now? Um, I've been here since June, 2016. So five years and two months. Wow. So clearly you love living there. I really do. It's the most beautiful place that I've ever lived. It's fantastic. Why is having a place like Foyer to live important to you? It's really important because Foyer has provided me with a stable base to work from. Previous to living in Foyer, I was, you know, not in a great place, couch surfing, didn't really have a stable place to go. And I was studying when I finished high school, but I was really struggling with it because it's really hard to focus on your education where you're thinking about where you're going to sleep the next night and how you're going to survive. So moving into Foyer, it just provided a home, you know, not a house, but a home in that true sense of belonging, a place that I could call my own, that I could come back to every day consistently and know that I was safe. So I could really focus on developing my independence in life rather than just getting through the day. Of course, you're still there. And of course, you're thriving. The model definitely supports young people like yourself to be able to study and continue to strive and achieve goals that are meaningful to them. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? You've alluded to couch surfing and we know with couch surfing and young people who couch surf, they're almost like the invisible homelessness cohort because people see the person on the street begging for change, looking dirty, ripped clothes, cardboard boxes. And that tends to be the stereotype of homelessness. But for those who've experienced couch surfing, it looks a little different. Can you tell us a little bit about your story, Courtney? Definitely. Like you said, it's a lot less visible because it's not as if I would tell people I was couch surfing and only those whose house I was at would know that I was couch surfing, really. Or even you could just frame it in terms of, I'm going to crash here tonight, I don't feel like going home. So even then, you don't have to make yourself vulnerable and tell people that you're, you know, in this traumatic or hard situation to sort of get by. So even those closest to you don't really know what's happening. Um, Yeah, and that really does reduce the visibility and stops you being able to get the help you need. Wow. Yeah, it does. And I can imagine studying is very hard when you don't have your own space, going to work is very difficult, and also making sure that you're not annoying the person you're staying with. That's a huge, that's a big mental Yeah, you really can't burn bridges then because you have nowhere to go then. So, you know, and you can only ask so many favours of people before it becomes too much. 
So what was your journey like from those experiences of couch surfing and being homeless, Courtney, to being in foyer today? What was what was your journey? What sort of led you to get to where you are now? When I finished high school is when there was family breakdown and sort of family substance misuse. So that led to me couch surfing and sort of going between friends' couches and my car at the time. And I heard through a friend of a friend about Southern Youth and Family Services. Actually, the foyer building is right around the corner from where I used to live. I just knew it as the old police station. I Mm -hmm. had no idea that it was a youth homelessness service. So I heard through a friend of a friend about SIFS and she got me in touch and I called the number and it sort of snowballed from there really. I got talking to a youth worker who sort of assessed my situation and sort of figured out which SIFS accommodation would work best for me. And because I was already studying, I sort of disengaged from it. They decided that FOIA would work. And there's also the fact that I have a physical disability. So not every service is accessible to those with disabilities. But FOIA was, you know, a new enough building that it was accessible to me. They have a disability access unit. So it's kind of the perfect fit for me, really. It sounds like it. And Mm. I know there are huge issues and concerns across the sector around accessible living options for people who have a disability. Leading up to you talking to your friend, why do you think it took a friend of a friend to tell you how to get some support? Were there any blockages that you faced or anything you didn't know that prevented you from knowing where to go or who to reach out to? Look, it's a really faceted issue personally. There's not only the fact that I didn't want to admit that I was in that situation, you know, I didn't have that cognitive recognition of, oh, you're homeless, you need to get help. I was just sort of surviving. Um, I completely shut down, you know, the upper part of my brain. I was just going about my days all the time. And then there's also the stigma attached to it. You know, once I realised, oh man, I'm like those people you see on TV, like I didn't want to admit to anyone that and expose myself to them saying, saying, you know, what have you done wrong in your life that you're in this situation? I didn't want them to pick apart my flaws or decisions and say that I should have done things differently and then I wouldn't be where I am. But then there was also, when I was in high school, the circles of friends I sort of moved between, there was no recognition of homelessness at all in young people. We sort of would have our Mm. jokes about, you know, that old man that's a hobo on the street. Like, that was our conceptualisation of homelessness. Mm. It was completely removed from us. It, It didn't apply to us. It didn't... Yeah, and, like, we have guidance counsellors and things at school that help you, you know, um, Department of Community and Family Services, like, that sort of thing. But there was just a complete disconnect between me needing that help and people being able to provide it. Yeah. Belinda, how much do you find in your work stigma plays a huge role in young people reaching out for support who are homeless? Look, definitely. I think over the years it is getting better because the education may be getting better out to the schools, but it is so common what Courtney is saying, um, you know, that we hear from young people. Um, They're quite scared to come into um, that because the stigma of things being like a refuge. And when they picture a refuge, often young people say they picture kind of like this scary place and they'll be mixing with people of all walks of life and they don't realise and they're quite surprised when they walk into some of our buildings what it actually feels like. It's like a home it's colorful it's bright it's clean they've got their own key to their units privacy but yes the stigma is still there and I think we need to work hard promoting that there is help out there and it's okay to reach out for help So where do you think you may have ended up today, Courtney, if you hadn't gotten to the foyer? Where do you think things could have gone? What were the options for you? Man, that's a really hard question to answer. 
because, you know, what pushed me in the end to access services was that I couldn't see a future for myself. That that was the final, you know, that leveraged my decision in the end that I felt like I had no future. I had, you know, I was starting to burn bridges and use up favours. I had nothing left, nowhere to go. I couldn't keep studying. I couldn't keep up with it. And I had a lot of mental health issues, obviously. And, yeah, it was that I couldn't see a future for myself that I decided, okay, well, I have to do something about this now because I will end up, to put it bluntly, not here anymore. Yeah, and that's a very realistic feeling and thought when you're in that position to go, what what is there left for me? Yeah. Um, and so thank really you. taking a chance. Like, I remember how nervous I was. I was sitting in my little car, actually parked three streets away from this building mm. right now, and I dialed the phone and I double-checked the number and made sure it was right and I rehearsed what I was going to say and, you know, I called and then I hung up and then I called and then I hung up three times. And I think I got into maybe Chain in Wollongong mm-hmm. um, and spoke to a worker there, but, oh, man, I was so nervous. And it was such a leap of faith, you know, I, I had no idea about the services available. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. It's so important to hear that. It really is to hear that from young people and learn from that, how scary that is, that leap is. Yeah, it was once I was pushed to my limit, I was not mm. going to, I was not going to call that number until I had absolutely no options left. Mm. It was like complete last resort. I think we're all very glad you called yes. that number. <laughs> yes, I definitely. am too. Because I find your story and you as a human being a very impressive young person um, with much potential for the future and you are living your potential now. Um, do you think foyers play a role, Courtney, in reducing and eliminating youth homelessness? Definitely. And I would say this in terms of foyers isn't a Band-Aid solution, you know. So in the beginning, I would think you're homeless, you need a house. And that's sort of my thinking stopped there. Whereas the longer I live in foyer, the more I realise that there's a lot of things influencing homelessness. So it's not necessarily that you don't have access to a house. It can also be that you don't have the income to pay your rent and keep a home, which foyer is really good at tackling in sort of having a positive domino effect, engaging young people in education, employment and training so they can set themselves up to be more independent and sort of maintain and sustain that independence in the long term. Yeah, yeah. Do you think we need more foyers? Are you, do you think? Definitely. We you shouldn't even have to ask that question. <laughs> yeah, it seems yeah. like a no-brainer. Yeah, um, it really is for me at least, me? yeah. Melinda, why do you think there's little investment in these models? What's your thought process around this at the moment? Because they seem like an amazing investment if we really look at the cost-benefit. That I mean, Courtney, this is how <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I would really like to, you know, reach out to the New South Wales government um, or even governments nationally to really make this a priority to, you know, have more foyers funded properly and sufficiently to be able to provide the absolute quality suite of services services that it offers to young people because it's investing in their future. So I don't really see any reason why not. But yeah, I do hope that that is something that's on the agenda. Yeah, me too. And I know why Foundations is advocating very closely with DCJ and government to have more foyers. So we definitely support the work you're doing and we want more foyers across New South Wales, especially in regional and remote areas. I imagine yes. a model like this would be very beneficial for those communities. Most definitely. So, Courtney, you're a member of the Y Foundation's Youth Homelessness Representative Council and we're very lucky to have you. Tell us why being a part of the council is important to you. 
So I think the Y Foundation's YHRC is really important to me because it's provided a platform for me to speak up about issues affecting many young people, whether that's through the media or participating in position papers or conferences or submissions. I think it's fantastic to really, you know, go beyond gesture politics and including young people, not just fill the quota in saying, oh yeah, we, we consulted with that young person. Really genuinely engaging them in decisions that affect them which I think the YHRC does fantastically and I'm so grateful to be a part of it. It does it does and it's a very valuable group. Can you explain to the listeners what the council does? What's some of the stuff you do when you meet together and we do some consultations? So because of COVID right now, we mostly meet over Zoom, which, you know, I'm so excited for the day I get to come in person and see everyone. We are too. <laughs> the screen, you know, have a coffee with people instead of just talking to this computer. But we mostly take turns discussing issues relevant for young people, so um, the impact of mental health. And I think a real benefit of the YHRC is that it brings together so many different young people. You know, some might be from out-of-home care, some are from foyers, some are uh, ex-service users, some are still service users, and there's such a great variety in the age of people, so it's really bringing together a diversity of perspectives. Yeah. Well, we value your contribution Mm -hmm. and without the Youth Homelessness Representative Council members, we wouldn't do the work we do here at Y Foundation. So we're lucky to have you and we're very thankful. From here for you, Courtney, what are your dreams moving forward? What are you planning to do? What are your aspirations? What's (laughs) on the cards for Courtney? You know, this Um, is your journey. What's next? Um, studying. I'm doing my Bachelor of Community Services and really integrating my personal experience with the theory about community services, like Belinda was saying earlier, about, you know, advantage thinking and strength-based practice. I'm sort of living it as I'm learning about it, really. It's the best way to learn. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I really want to use that experience to sort of make sure I always remain a sort of empathetic and reflective practitioner. You know, really never lose sight of that along the way, no matter how far I go, whether that's in youth homelessness or another sector within the industry. Well, Courtney, we're excited to have you <laughs> as part of our workforce. I'm excited. <laughs> lived experience can play a really amazing mm-hmm. part in a clinician's life. And I think we all have different experiences and yours mm-hmm. in particular is one of homelessness. And I love your story, Courtney, that for you, you see homelessness is part of who you are, but it mm-hmm. doesn't define who you are. And it's one point in your lifetime that's made you more smarter and cleverer <laughs> and resilient and you're, you're showing that through your desire to become a clinician yourself. So I find that very inspiring and thank you for not giving up. Belinda, why did you become a worker in the, the homelessness sector? Why did you become a clinician? What brought you to this place in your career? Um, look, I didn't have any lived experience, but yeah, just wanting to, I guess, give back to the community, wanting to help, uh, always had an interest in that kind of youth space. Yeah, just kind of fell into youth work. I did do a community services diploma at first and could have gone at any kind of different kind of angle with that. But yeah, being, uh, I think, young at heart and um, yeah, wanting to ensure that we are investing in, in, in young people's future. I found that a really interesting time to be a part of that in their journey in a young person's life to be able to inspire them, be the role model, you know, really believe in them to be able to reach their full potential. Uh, it really is a great stage, um, I think, you know, in this in this sector to be a part of. 
definitely yeah. glad you fell into it. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> Courtney. <laughs> It's great that Courtney has role models like yourself um, on the ground in the foyer. You can't Uh, be what you don't see. Exactly. What a great (laughs) message, Courtney. You can't be what you don't see. And I think that role modelling is something the foyer really gives young people through that close contact with older clinicians who can guide and um, support through the ups and downs. Before we finish up today, is there anything else you want our listeners to know about foyers? What do you want them to know? We have listeners who are government officials, politicians, we have community, we have private business owners, we have a variety of humans that listen to this podcast. We've got fellow peers who are clinicians and fellow young people who have lived the experience of homelessness. If you could tell them one last message about FOIA, what would it be from you both? Yeah, I guess, you know, take a chance on um, youth foyers. I I really do believe in foyers a lot and that they do work, you know, with the right, um, you know, amount of funding, staffing, location, having that focus on education, employment, training. I don't think you can lose in investing in that in young people as a way of moving forward for their future. You know, I really do hope that, um, yeah, we do reach our target goal of having more foyers open by 2030. So, yeah. I just would say, yes, please take a chance on foyers. It is only one type of housing option, um, but it is uh, a really positive one to invest in. A very worthwhile one. Courtney, yes. what's your last message to our listeners? Look, I would say the main thing is that foyers is so flexible. It's not one size fits all. It's really suited to wrapping around each individual person's strengths and goals and personality, which is what makes it great, really, and sets it apart from some other services and that's really good for young people for them to know that they're not going to go into a service and be expected to do the same thing as everyone else you know to really have that flexibility and ability to adapt around a young person and where they're at in their lives you know everyone's different everyone's at a different stage in their life and I think that's so important and FOIA really provides that. I just want to say a huge thank you to you both. Courtney, keep moving forward and being an amazing advocate for all the young people who've come before you and the young people who are currently homeless. They need people like yourself to speak up and speak loud and really tell those who may not understand what youth homelessness is like for a young person. So please continue to be the bright shining light. And Belinda, thank you for being on the ground, working really hard with our young people and making um, their dreams a reality. I think without people like yourselves, Southern Youth and Family Services and the foyer model, there is a group of young people who, like Courtney said, possibly would not have a future ahead of them. But because of the model of foyer, it creates possibility and a future for young people so enormous thank you Belinda and Courtney to you both thanks so much Pam thank you thank you welcome and your your advocacy and contributions to the sector are much appreciated thank you for spending some time with me today thank Thank you. you thanks for listening to the young and homeless podcast see you next time